Broke. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. When I was a kid growing up in my father's congregation, one of the songs that I just absolutely loved to sing was Wonderful Grace of Jesus, Greater Than All My Sin. Wonderful Grace of Jesus, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. But here's a question that I have for you. Is God's grace the same as gay grace? Is God's grace the same as gay grace? That's the question that will kind of hover over our conversation here today on Viewpoint. Our viewpoint does determine destiny, and there are no neutral viewpoints, as you well know if you've been listening to this program long. And so today we're going to be talking about this matter of the uh, place of the homosexual movement within the professing Christian community. How should we look at it? Is there such a thing as a gay Christian And what does it mean to be homosexual? Does it mean you practice homosexuality? Does it mean that you are drawn to same-sex relationships? What does it mean anyway? And here's another question. If indeed you feel that same-sex attraction, however strongly you may feel it, is it possible, reasonably possible, that that should not govern your life? That there is a possibility In fact, a strong possibility that you can be freed from it, that you can realize the freedom that would come from it and be happy about it. Well, all of that we're going to talk about here today on Viewpoint. I'm so glad that you joined us. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. And I trust that today our conversation will be transforming for someone or maybe many someones, maybe someone that you know maybe someone that you love, maybe someone that you care for, maybe a child, maybe a grandchild, maybe a husband, maybe a wife, who knows, maybe someone in your congregation. And so I'm so glad that you've joined us here today on Viewpoint. One of the premier events, in fact, the premier event in the history of the Jewish people is called the Exodus, coming out of Egypt. The problem with the Exodus was, however great it was, which it was, the mighty hand of God being demonstrated, the problem was that the majority of the people longed to go back into Egypt. In fact, even though they didn't physically go back into Egypt, from God's viewpoint, they did. And he said, as you've spoken, so shall it be, and every one of you will die in the wilderness. In other words, you're not going to enter the promised land. I wonder if there's any relationship between what happened there 3,500 years ago and what's happening today is of import for us in the broader body of Christ, in the Christian community, among our pastors, and with regard to the matter of homosexuality. Well, today on Viewpoint, our special guest, Stephen Black, is joining us. He's written a great book called Freedom Realized, 
fighting freedom from homosexuality and living a life free from labels. And he knows whereof he speaks because he was part of that movement and came out. Stephen, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you, Chuck. It's good to be with you. Appreciate it. Well, you're in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, is this a, a situation, a, a problem in Oklahoma City, like it would be in California or in San Francisco or in uh, uh, Haight-Ashbury in New York, wherever we are? Oh, yeah. Wherever there's human beings, you're going to have human sexuality, <laughs> and with human sexuality, you're going to have uh, sexual sin. So, absolutely. All right. Now, just to set the record straight here, uh, you probably did not know that I was a trial attorney for 20 years in California. And one of the things, if you were going to call an expert witness, you always had to qualify that witness as to whether or not they were truly an expert witness capable of truly speaking believably uh, into a particular subject. So I'm going to do a, a moment or two here to qualify you as an expert witness. Uh, you have been married now, I understand, for how long? 35 years. 35 years. And you do you have children? Yes, three adult children and three grandchildren. Wow. And yet, you once practiced homosexuality, is that correct? Uh, I did. I uh, was a practicing homosexual from uh, age 14 through age 22. Wow, did your and, parents uh, know it? They didn't know it initially. They knew it after I became mobile with uh, getting wheels underneath me mm -hmm. at about 16 and a half. And did you grow up in a, a Christian home of some type? I did. I grew up in a Catholic uh, background, but um, uh, I was also raised in a Catholic parochial school environment. So, you know, it was more than just a nominal Catholic. It was, you know, Wednesday Mass, Friday Mass, Sunday Mass. Mm -hmm. And did you have any other siblings? I did. I had... Uh, four other siblings and two that were 18 months younger than me. So we're, there was kind of the three of us that grew. We were the second, grew up together. We were the second litter. I have an older brother that is eight years older and an uh, older sister that's 10. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, both my younger siblings have passed away. Did any of your siblings uh, get involved, to your knowledge, in the homosexual movement? None of them. And none of them ever showed any kind of an inclination or proclivity towards uh, same-sex attraction at and, all. And did they know uh, that you did? Yeah, they did uh, eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Did they ever um, accuse you uh, before they knew absolutely that you were, uh, to use the term that the homosexual movement uses itself today, that you were queer? No, they didn't, actually. Hmm. Until I uh, embraced a gay identity. I mean, you know, there were people growing up in the school environment that bullied me in uh, mm -hmm. junior high and high school, mm -hmm. but not my siblings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, I think I've accomplished uh, my responsibility as a trial lawyer and established <laughs> you are duly qualified uh, to speak on this subject <laughs> as one knowledgeable and fully experienced at every level. And so I appreciate your cooperating with that uh, that little uh, preparation for our conversation. Now, sure. uh, you were involved in a, an organization after 
you were making your way out of homosexuality uh, called the Exodus Movement, weren't you? That's correct, yeah. First Stone Ministries was one of the founding ministries of Exodus. I wasn't involved in that time in 1976, uh, but uh, the organization that I direct was uh, one of the founding organizations with Frank and Peg Rogers Mm -hmm. as the directors back in that day. And then I came to start working here part-time in 1991 and have been here since then. Uh, so yeah, I've been been here for uh, thirty years. Well, since it was nineteen seventy six, that was our years, our nation's bicentennial. I would have thought that that would have spelled freedom for a lot of people, particularly in the Exodus movement. But quite something different happened, and we'll talk about that when we get back from the break. Friends, we're talking with Stephen Black. An amazing life, an amazing ministry, an amazing message. Freedom realized. We'll offer his book in just a moment. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. It's God's Grace versus Gay Grace here today on the program, and you'll understand why the title in a few moments. But our special guest today, Stephen Black, with his book Freedom Realized, Finding Freedom from Homosexuality and Living a Life Free from Labels. Fascinating book. I think uh, it would be extremely helpful to so many, many people, uh, endorsed by many uh, important leaders, people, many whom I uh, seriously respect. And uh, here it is. It's a, uh, an $18 book, and it's yours for $16 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Monk 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. So my question then is, what is pure grace? If God is gracious and God extends his grace to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, then what would be pure grace? We're going to find out about that in just a few moments with our special guest, uh, Stephen Black. Is there a purer grace than God's grace? Is it a refined version of God's grace? What is pure grace anyway? Well, that takes us back to this story of Exodus. And uh, there was a ministry called Exodus that uh, came about uh, several decades ago uh, in response to the homosexual movement that was gaining steam across the country and around the world. Tell us a little about that, Stephen. Yeah, I mean... um... In the beginning years, uh, Exodus wasn't very uh, viable. You had a lot of people that were very sexually broken just trying to find out what it meant to walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the first five years that Exodus started its formation didn't get its charter 
of really a biblically orthodox view on homosexuality until about 1982-83. All right, so it started in 1976, our bicentennial year, which should have been a year spelling freedom, but not quite. That's that's right. And then, uh, you know, some more leaders began up, you know, speaking into the Exodus movement and actually mentoring the people that were coming out of homosexuality. And uh, then the ministries started developing. And by the time Exodus did close in uh, 2013, there were about 200 uh, ministries, not hmm. quite 200. So Exodus was uh, kind of like the hub uh, that had spawned many other uh, like ministries. Right. Well, what what it was really was ministries that were networked together with a common vision and theme. And mm-hmm. so then there was an office and a conference developed called Exodus. But actually, the frontline ministries were very independent. There are their own 501c3s, mm-hmm. and they did the work of discipleship care and support group. And uh, so... Stone Ministries that uh, you're head of, First Stone Ministries, was part of that uh, that group. That's correct, yes. Mm-hmm. And we, the founders of First Stone, were some of the people that really spoke into it. They were parents of a son who struggled with homosexuality, and some of the ministries were. But in the, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, several people that came out of homosexuality and were actually, you know, mature in the Lord, started working with First Stone, and I was one of those people. All right, and how is it that you became part of that uh, since you were a practicing homosexual? Well, you know, in 1983, um, I had this radical transformative experience with Jesus, Mm. but it began in 1981 Mm -hmm. with the death of my little brother, Mm. and I started crying out to God about eternity and about heaven and hell because I had learned those things in parochial school. And so when I had surrendered my life to Jesus, I had about nine years of preparation from about 1983 to to 91. And during those years, I really... um, I really spent a consecrated amount of time of discipleship care, inner healing, deliverance, and and really learning the Bible. And that prepared me, even though I was studying to be an architect and worked in an uh, an engineering uh, um, uh, group. Um, During that time, I was prepared for what I would be doing for these uh, last almost 30 years now in ministry. All right. And, so when um, did you get married? Were you, were you a practicing homosexual when you got married? No, no. Robin and I got married in 1986. Okay. Um, and um, and she had already had one child out of wedlock. I adopted her, so our oldest. Uh, I adopted, and then we had two more children uh, in the 90s. Well, 88-90. All right. So... Tell us a bit, little bit about your sojourn uh, coming out of the practice of homosexuality, because as I see it, it's one thing to have an attraction, a same-sex attraction. It's another thing to follow up on it. It's one That's thing right. to allow birds to fly over your head. It's another thing to allow them to make a nest in your hair. 
so my journey began with this um, amazing experience with Jesus when he spoke to me after I'd been crying out to him for about a year and a half, and he said, and if you don't accept me tonight, you're going to die. Ooh. And I didn't know that. I mean, that's not usually how people start out their walk with God, but it was for me. <laughs> right, okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty radical. And I was actually in a home. I was not in a church. Mm-hmm. And these people were living the life, and it allowed for the grace of God to be extended to me. Um, I looked at them and I said, I need to know Jesus like you all do. And they prayed with me. But that later on that night, I was with their sister who asked the question, does this mean you're not going to be gay anymore? And I said, I guess it means whatever Jesus has. And But that struck a chord with me to pray over the Bible and get the big table Bible from my folks' dining room and lug it down into my bedroom and prayed over that thing. And mm-hmm. when I did, uh, I literally flipped it open to Leviticus 18. And it was, it was miraculous. And I saw there that it said, you know, man shall not lie with man uh, as he does with a woman. Mm-hmm. If he does so, it's an, a detestable uh, thing to do. It was an abomination. And I mm-hmm. looked at that word abomination. I thought that means something really bad. And my parents' priest had been trying to seduce me and telling me it was okay to be gay. And so I was very confused until I actually saw the law of God. Well, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. You mean a spiritual leader, a purported spiritual leader, was trying to seduce you into practicing homosexuality? Well, yeah, he knew I was a practicing homosexual, and he said it was okay because, uh, you know, it was all the more reason to come to Mass, wink, wink. At my sister's wedding re- uh, reception, he he actually, yeah, propositioned me. Oh, sad, wow. very sad. But, you know, that is so common now. But back in, you know, in the 80s, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And um, it was something that was a, a bit um, unheard of. And I didn't know that until I actually got involved with a leader in the Episcopal Church and actually moved in with him and um, uh, lived a a homosexual relationship with one of the uh, leaders of one of the most predominant uh, Episcopal churches in in Oklahoma City. And then I even found out back then there was a a whole secret group of uh, gay ministers. Yeah. And, uh, of course, then came the Metropolitan Church Movement. Tell us a little about that. Well, um, yeah, that that movement was basically taking the scriptures and uh, trying to malign them based upon their feelings and desires. Mm -hmm. And that's why people should really look at Ephesians chapter 4, because there's a futility of mind that comes in. And people, they they don't even realize, but they're they're darkening themselves based upon their feelings Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the uncleanness of their hearts. And God even warns us in 2 Thessalonians and in Romans 1 that if you want this, you can have it. Uh, but really, when you look at a fee, my go-to verse is Ephesians 5, verse 5. And uh, a lot of people, you know, they want to say, well, there are the clobber verses. But there are so many other verses in the Bible that confront, like, the Met- Metropolitan Community Church and now mm-hmm. what we have, the Gay Christian Network and the Revoice Movement and some of these other 
you know, LGBTQ, and now they call them sexual minority groups right. in the church. By the and way, so the latest to one to come, scripture. the latest one to be advanced uh, this very week coming out of Cambridge in the UK is bestiality. Right. Yeah. So yep. it, it's progressing. Uh, we were at the very heart of this in Pasadena, California, the neighbor neighborhood where we lived. It was just a two-block street, and on one end was one homosexual couple, on the other end was another homosexual couple, and we actually uh, were friends or friendly with those people. Uh, they did not feel that we had a hatred in our heart for them and actually invited us into their home in different occasions. Uh, so it's one thing for a professing Christian to uh, be in opposition to the practice of homosexuality. It's another thing for a practicing Christian to hate the people uh, who are, shall we say, attracted that way. Yeah, I mean, we there, there are two different things. You've got people that are going to be, um, you know, struggling and I think needing to mature to, to deal with the root problems behind same-sex attraction. Um, because the Bible is clear, They're, they are unnatural desires, and I had to wrestle through that for at least, I would say, at least the three, if not maybe even longer, first three years mm-hmm. of really, you know, complete surrender to Jesus to really look at the causality and the brokenness. And there are so many men, I mean, I've ministered to hundreds of men now uh, over the last 30 years of ministry, and there are going to be men who are probably going to struggle to the day they die Mm -hmm. uh, because they had given themselves over to such a long-term affection of, um, you know, operating in sexual sin, either pornography, lust, or actual acting out Mm -hmm. that need help, that need healing and need grace to live a surrendered and really consecrated life where Jesus says and um, that you have to pick up your cross. Paul said it to the Galatians, those who belong to Christ must crucify the flesh, the lust and desires thereof, mm. proving that you do belong to Jesus. You know, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're putting to death and uh, your thoughts, your feelings and desires that are sinful. In other words, you're not embracing or otherwise. You're not embracing them and then turning it into the ministry of God's grace to approve that which he says is an abomination. That that's right. Matter of fact, God, it, there's so many warnings in Scripture. You know, I look to Jude's epistle, verse verse four. You mm-hmm. know, it says that they will creep in even secretly, and they will turn the grace of God into lewdness. Mm-hmm. And you know, the old King James word is lasciviousness, right. which actually has a, a deeper context of the feelings and desires. Um, that, you know, that uh, have been written in church history to know that you cannot participate in desires and lust and be consecrated to the Lord. Um, You're supposed to take those thoughts captive, and you're supposed to be surrendering your, your, your internal world of thinking to Jesus Christ if he is, in fact, your Lord. One thing that I have determined not to do, and I, I, I've violate that in the title of our program here today uh, purposely uh, to get attention, to get some alliteration out of it. But mm-hmm. I refuse to use the word gay uh, because it's not accurate. It is not uh, 
descriptive of uh, what we're really talking about. It's a way, it's a euphemistic way to try to make it appear other than what it is from God's viewpoint. Uh, At least we should use the term, it seems to me, homosexuality, and probably even more appropriately, sodomy, uh, which comes right out of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right out of the Bible. That's where it came from, and every state in the Union in this country once had very strong laws against sodomy. How did things change? Well, it became with the erosion of the, like what we had mentioned before, the Metropolitan Community Church and, the you know, what they called the Stonewall uh, uh, riots in um, Upper New York. There, mm-hmm. the, the idea that somehow uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered people, homosexuals are an oppressed group that uh, need to be recognized along with what the American Psychological Association uh, in the 70s made um, removed from the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. And so now these these identities or even what they call an orientation, they legitimize... Right. We'll be back with you after so this break. Hang in there. ...and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. What a blessing it is to join you here on Viewpoint Today to talk about a subject that is uh, of great concern uh, here in our country and all over the world. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be just before his second coming. Well, what was it like in the days of Lot? Well, that's where we get the word sodomy from. Right there, Sodom and Gomorrah. And now it's spreading everywhere. We even had a president of the United States who declared it was his first goal when he was elected to spread sodomy and abortion across the world. His name was Barack Hussein Obama. And he did just that. And he went to Africa and he tried to spread it there. And they mocked him and they said, we don't want your perversion here. We don't want your perversion here. He said, well, that's what you're going to have to do if you want our money. And they said, well, then take your money. You see, we're being looked upon as a country. We're being looked upon as a great Satan. And there perhaps is some truth to that. Not total truth, but some truth to that. What do you make of the fact that it was just a few weeks ago when the President of the United States 
ordered a gay flag to be hung from all the embassies in the country, including Afghanistan. He was more concerned about celebrating homosexuality than he was protecting the people. Just let that sink in a moment. Our special guest today, Stephen Black, with his wonderful book, Freedom Realized, Finding Freedom and Homosexuality from Homosexuality, A Living Life Free from Labels. His book is an $18 book, yours for $16 on our website, saveus.org. It's going to be so helpful to many people. Uh, Again, it's saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Is there such a thing, Stephen, as a gay Christian or a homosexual Christian? Not in God's economy, uh, not in the kingdom of heaven, but in the uh, culture that we have now, there are people that are calling themselves gay Christian, and there are people that are promoting what's called a side A and a side B side. This was became popular with um, the leaders of the, the Gay Christian Network uh, to kind of marry together what are side A practicing homosexuals and side B celibate, what they say, we believe the Bible, um, and we believe that there is a condemnation on the behavior but we're going to call ourselves the gay Christian. So um, that would be uh, akin to calling somebody uh, or labeling somebody in the church, men who struggle with pornography, uh, porn fornicating Christians, or <laughs> somebody who is an adulterer, uh, you know, or has even, you know, a polyamorous type view of um, other women, you know, and, and a man labeling himself as an adulterous Christian. And so in God's economy, we're not supposed to be putting anything that uh, is viewed as a sinful desire, especially something as egregious as homosexual, unnatural lust mm-hmm. uh, before the name of Christ. It's, it is akin to blasphemy. And I know that that's not popular among these people, uh, but I know what I've gone through in the fear of God and the holiness of God and receiving the Spirit of God in His Word that has clearly shown me that you don't do something like that, uh, that God is very holy, and His Word is very holy, and certainly Jesus, uh, the Christ, you would never want to put gay in front of Christ. But that's what they do, and uh, they want to be legitimized now uh, in the church and even in the Gospel Coalition. You have people that want to call it now sexual minorities. LGBTQ plus sign Christians, hmm. and uh, there's movements now, conferences called like Revoice, and they're legitimizing this whole idea of gay or LGBTQ, and people need to pay attention to that plus sign because that plus sign means something, and it just continues to erode mm-hmm. uh, like a little leaven in the church. All right, we like to talk about God's grace, and I opened the program with. Uh, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. Problem today is we don't talk about sexual sin. We talk about brokenness. I think that's a euphemism because we don't like the word sin. It is, and it it does kind of 
dumb it down and people like to say, you know, things like sin is sin and uh and sin certainly is sin if you're talking about the holiness of God, but it's a way of dumbing down and even bringing leaven into the church of the holiness of God because you wouldn't say to your wife, "Oh, honey, I, you know, went out with the guys and ate too much pizza. I'm a glutton." And, you know, want compassion if you came home and said, oh, honey, I went home and, you know, uh, the guys and I went and slept with prostitutes. <laughs> Obviously, those are two really huge different kinds of sins with greater consequences. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't seem to have that kind of common sense in the church anymore. And uh, the reality is, is that this is a grievous sin, sexual sin and idolatry from Genesis to Revelation has never changed. And these gay proponents of gay Christianity want to try to dumb down with ceremonial law or dietary law and try to make that the same mm. as sexual immorality, and it's not. And God has clearly shown that one will equal certain death and even eternal destruction if you do not repent. And that has to be said loud and clearly if we're going to love people well. Absolutely. If you really love them, as as Jude said, you're going to you're going to do what you need to do to pull them out of the fire, and uh, it might take some some real effort to do that. Uh, I think part right. of the problem, Stephen, is that we have actually abused and distorted the word grace. Uh, yes, grace is God's unmerited favor, but it's more than that. It is His enabling power to assist us and enable us to obey his voice, to do his will. And that part of it gets left out. So then grace that then gets reinterpreted to mean God's winking at our sin, our, his willingness to overlook us because he loves us so much. How do you respond to that? Well, I absolutely concur and agree. Uh, you know, Titus 2, 11 and uh, Titus 2, chap chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 are very clear. Grace actually uh, appears to all men in bringing salvation. It teaches us to deny all ungodliness and worldly mm -hmm. lust, to live soberly and righteously. And that was the reason why the, the fall of Exodus took place is because you had their chairman and Alan Chambers pastor, Clark Whitten, teaching out of his book what was called Pure Grace, which was, quite frankly, in my view, pure heresy, mm -hmm. where he said we don't need to confess our sins anymore. Um, grace covers everything. You can even go and commit sexual immorality, and it's okay because grace covers everything. And that is just another repackaging of the old teaching of Gnosticism and antinomianism, which mm -hmm. is basically hyper-grace, and it doesn't matter what you do yeah. in your body. And that's that was the fall of Exodus. And so that gave the segue to gay Christianity and even practicing homosexuality. And we shouldn't be surprised. Second um, Peter uh, chapter 2 um, uh, tells us that this would happen, uh, that in the last days that they would introduce secret heresies, mm -hmm. uh, and that it would do this, that it would be these false prophets, uh, that will bring destructive ways of blaspheming grace. And that's what they're doing. So the very concept of so-called gay grace is actually a heresy that defies holiness that God requires. Absolutely it is. Mm. So rather than it being pure grace, it's pure disgrace. 
<laughs> there you go. Or what we call, yeah, blasphemous grace. Yeah, okay. Now, there has been this strong movement. People want to uh, say that this is what the love of God is. If you really love God, then you're supposed to love others as yourself. And since others have different views and different feelings than you do, therefore you need to embrace what they love, what they like. Otherwise you're not loving and therefore you don't really love God. Isn't that a lot of the thinking now? It it is. And what it really is, is human compassion, a compassion that has compromise, Mm -hmm. which human compassion always does. But the compassion of God is always about bringing an internal transformation of the soul that leads towards holiness, a lifestyle of repentance. And that is what love is. Love, Love is never proud. Um, we see that in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not proud. Mm-hmm. And yet the very antithesis of, of, of what they say is love is filled with pride. And that's why and they call it that, gay pride. That's exactly right. And, it, and we see, in the ironically, in the Bible, the Bible warns that before destruction, pride comes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've got these, what are they call the pride banner now, flying over a people group that are promoting the most debaucherous of sexual um, acting out and even trying to lure children into this now from kindergarten all the way through the higher education, uh, that this must be normalized because the American Psychological Association says that this is legitimate. Even pedophilia now has been... um, remapped, as they call it, uh, now a legitimate orientation called minor attracted person. And so they don't even want to call it pedophilia anymore, and they certainly don't want to call it sodomy. They want to call it homosexual or gay, and they want to call it being a minor attracted person. And that's what that plus sign is talking about. They, The American Psychological Association desires to bring this all the way up through higher learning and that all of our education systems embrace this and and even in the church to distort what the grace of god is it's not the compassion of god it is human compassion which Mm. always has error in it wow this is this is such an important conversation when we get back uh stephen i want you to talk a little bit about uh, how you came out and any struggles that you might have had, and what your this ministry is that you're about, First Stone Ministries. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. 
He spent about eight years as a practicing homosexual until the Lord got a hold of his heart. His name is Stephen Black. He's joining us here on Viewpoint today, and he said he realized freedom, and therefore he's written a book called Freedom Realized, Finding Freedom from Homosexuality and Living a Life Free from Labels. It's yours, friend, uh, for $16 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org or give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. This could be a very, very helpful uh, book for you, for your relatives, uh, your friends, pastors, for uh, those in your congregation, uh, because this is a subject that we're dealing with. This is a national and Christian subject. This is something that not only we should deal with, we must deal with. And that's why we're talking about it here today. We're not making a fetish of this particular issue, but we are dealing with it today. Uh, Stephen, uh, after you came to the Lord, and uh, uh, did you continue to have a struggle of being drawn back into uh, the practice? Well, my story is a little bit different than most of the men uh, that I have ministered to over the last 30 years, in that the way that I got saved really was culminated together with the fear of God. And what that did for me was a special kind of grace that really did kill the sexual addiction, which I was would have considered myself an addict. And, mm. um, and so it immediately stopped. Uh, I never acted out again and haven't in almost 40 years wow. uh, homosexually. But that doesn't mean that I didn't have to deal with a lot of the causality, mm-hmm. which I found was my childhood molestation. I had been molested several times. The grief and the sorrow of the loss of innocence, dealing with bitter root judgments, dealing with the bitter roots that I had towards my, my same-sex parent, my dad. And so I had to deal with a lot of bitter roots and learning how to forgive, mm-hmm. for, forgive my abusers, and then learning how to deal with the shame and the sorrow of the sin that I had been involved in. Mm. Now you mentioned, and forgiving myself. Yeah, exactly. You, right. Now, you mentioned a term, the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I have come to the conclusion, I believe the Lord has showed it to me clearly, that that is at the root of our national demise. We have abandoned the fear of the Lord. From the church house to the White House, to the schoolhouse, uh, to the courthouse, just about everywhere. And so we want people to, shall we say, love Jesus, but we don't want to introduce them to the God who is Lord and who in Jesus Christ will come to judge the earth in righteousness. We don't want them to know about that, Jesus. And it seems to me that we're actually preaching a false God. And there is leading us us to a false compassion and basically the spreading of that which God calls abomination in his eyes. Yeah, there's such a tolerance uh, under a false banner of compassion that we're forgetting that uh, all of the places where the Bible mentions sexual sin, uh, that the the wrath of God is right beside it. And the wrath of God meaning 
which should really terrify people in Second uh, Thessalonians, being actually turned over to the demise of your own sin and calling good evil and evil good. But I always reminded in Second Corinthians chapter five where. Paul is telling them, you know, we make it our our aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord because we're all supposed to appear before the judgment seat of Christ of what were things that were done in the body and to give an account. Mm-hmm. And he said, in context, he actually literally says, because I know the terror of God, I know the fear of God, the holiness of God, I'm persuading men. Exactly. Uh, And the very next chapter, chapter 6, he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor practicing homosexuals, and so on, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. How much clearer does it get? Well, it's very clear. Uh, And even those two words, which is the newest you know, well, it's not a new argument, but there's a new documentary coming out that the word homosexual wasn't used in the New Testament before 1946. But those two Greek words there, malakoi and uh, arsenakoite, uh, those two words literally mean a soft man and a man better. And it is so clear that Paul meant uh, practicing homosexuals and mm-hmm. those who would allow themselves to become an effeminate user right. of man. Yeah. And uh, it's it, it, both of those people do not go to heaven, along right. with fornicators and adulterers and drunkards and revilers. Including including those who persist in pursuing pornography, which is adultery. Or, or, that's exactly or, or, right. Pornea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pornea, that's right. In other words, we all have to repent. And God isn't, his grace is not overlooking those things. And he says, my grace is made strong in your weakness. So we all have weaknesses, don't we? Yeah, so the propensity uh, to sin is going to be there, and that's what we tell people. But God does something, the prerequisite to grace, which we see in James' epistle and also in 1 Peter 5, is humility. And if we do not humble ourselves, we don't receive the grace or the empowerment of God. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem is we're, we're stiff-necked mm-hmm. and we're rebellious and we think that God should bless that when actually we need to be falling down on our knees and asking God for help. All right, so tell us about First Stone Ministries and uh, you're, you're working uh, knowledgeably and compassionately from a biblical ver- uh, viewpoint uh, to help people find freedom from the homosexual lifestyle. So tell us about yeah, that. We're, we're unashamedly biblically orthodox in our worldview concerning human sexuality. So we have the pleasure of helping troubled marriages. We, we deal with men struggling with pornography. Mm-hmm. We have men's groups, women's groups. We have support groups dealing with uh, people coming out of homosexuality. And probably our largest group is, is parents our parent, family, and friends group, where parents are grieving over children who have uh, made the choice to either transition into transgenderism or homosexuality. And so it's a very thorough ministry, really underscoring the gospel of Jesus to bring transformation to sexual centers and to give hope. So there is hope. So there is hope for those who want to walk in it. 
Yeah, if you want freedom, and and that's the main thing that people should know is we're not here trying to force our worldview or the the Bible uh, on people like is being demonstrated by some of these you know uh, detractors and mm-hmm. advocates of homosexuality. We're actually here for those who want our help. Mm-hmm. So if a person convinced against their will is going to be of the same opinion still, so you can't argue with people, you can't fight with them, they have to have a desire, don't they? That's right, and we we don't do that. I mean, sometimes we'll sit down with a family, with a teenager that is rebellious, but we will try to be a friend of that person and try to to help somebody. But if we see it's going to be counterproductive, we don't we don't ever try to force our services or even the gospel on anyone. Yeah, it would be like casting your pearls uh, before those who have no receptivity whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, they rend you. Yeah, they rend you. They'll come back and rend you. So <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they'll stir up with, within the homosexual movement and uh, really uh, do everything they can to destroy. All right. What is the, uh, shall we say, the success rate that you have with those who show desire, serious desire, to come out of this uh, practice? Chuck, I'm so glad you asked that question because when Alan Chambers closed down Exodus, he said 99% don't change. Mm -hmm. Well, we knew that we were one of the only ministries that had over 25 years of client folders. So what we did is we compiled a database and contacted those people. We were able to make a good contact with 1,200 of – well, we had 1,200 folders. We were able to contact 500. And 185 of those filled out a survey, and the conclusion was that those who really gave at least one year of their life consecrated to Christ in pastoral care and support group went away living a life free from labels. It was 70, over 72% of mm. the people. Wow. So that's of those who really showed concern, interest, and were willing to commit themselves. That's right. They went on to live a life fully consecrated to Christ. It doesn't mean that they don't struggle. Uh, Freedom is not the absence of struggle. Freedom is the ability by God's grace to rise above it, and 72% have gone on to live fully consecrated lives to Christ. Let's suppose that uh, a listener, uh, maybe it's a parent, a grandparent, a pastor, who knows, uh, a listener, Uh, saying, you know what, I have that problem, or I have a relative who does. I know of somebody, maybe it's a neighbor, a friend, who is struggling with this. Uh, How would they, if they're not in Oklahoma City, how would they work with you and you with them? Well, they can go to our website at firststone.org, and there's a Contact Us form. Uh, Unfortunately, because of uh, the way email gets hijacked and and even some of our detractors our email addresses aren't published anymore Uh, so we ask people to fill out a contact form or they can call us at 405-236-HOPE which is 4673 so 405-236-4673 which spells hope and they can call us and we can either do zoom um, we can have discussions with them, but we will certainly uh, help point them to other ministries and resources 
that will help them locally or with some families. We actually do meetings uh, across the country uh, mm-hmm. that go on uh, for months uh, via Zoom. All right. You've been married 35 years. How does your wife feel about what you're doing? Well, she knows it was a calling. She knew when uh, she married me that we would more than likely be in ministry. Honestly, when we first got married, I I thought we would go and be in foreign missions. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I didn't even want to be in this kind of work. But after we got married, um, she saw um, that we actually had, and it was a long story, but we actually had divine encounters with God with him showing us that we were supposed to be doing this. Hmm. And so she sees it as a calling and she's very supportive. Uh, though she homeschooled our kids mm-hmm. and we raised our kids and she's busy with our grandkids. She's not real active in the ministry, but she's very supportive. All right. And uh, tell us uh, just briefly about your homeschool situation. Would you advise others to consider that given with the tenor of what's going on today? Uh, absolutely. Now, with what's happening with almost the demand with Drag Queen Story Hour and uh, the promotion of LGBTQ being normative, um, you know, in the 80s, homeschooling wasn't very popular. But right. now. That's when we started homeschooling. homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, homeschooling was amazing. We loved it. Um, you know, our kids have pros and cons with it, but um, um, they. They all and some of our other uh, friends, um, even now that are younger, are all homeschooling because of this issue. Mm. Well, I just appreciate so much uh, what you are doing and your frankness. Uh, you're not uh, you're not speaking with a uh, a spiritual lisp. You're speaking straight out. Uh, you're not trying to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you know what I mean. That's exactly, oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. It's not a limp-wristed, lisping kind of a message. Uh, compassion does not require that. Compassion requires straight talk uh, for troubled times uh, because you care and you love people. All right, friends, the book Freedom Realized, it's an $18 book, yours for $16. It's on our website, saveus.org. I recommend it highly. Many have endorsed this book who have every reason to do so. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. And become a partner. Don't delay. Do it today, friend. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.